I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on how Paul Manafort ran into tax trouble and a 2010 law called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. In April of 2022, the Department of Justice filed suit against President Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. The DOJ alleges that Manafort willfully failed to disclose on his 2013 and 2014 U.S. federal tax return that he had an ownership interest in 22 bank accounts located in foreign countries. As a result, the government seeks civil penalties, accrued interest on those penalties, and late payment penalties totaling approximately $3 million. In today's episode, we discuss the law that requires U.S. taxpayers to report foreign account information and research into the efficacy of those laws. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. Well, here we are once again talking about the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, which is something we've talked about before on our episode on the Pandora Papers. And we are joining the list of media outlets talking about someone connected to President Trump or the Trump Organization running afoul of the tax law. Does that mean we're a media outlet? I'm going to go with that. Yes, absolutely. Let's. This time it's Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign manager. I think what you meant to say was that once again, it's Paul Manafort. Trump's former campaign manager. Indeed, this is not Manafort's first run-in with the law. In 2018, Manafort pled guilty to conspiracy against the U.S., conspiracy to commit money laundering, tax fraud, lying to the Department of Justice, and witness tampering. Is that all? I think there's probably more. All right. So our goals for today are not to outline the criminal history of Paul Manafort because we only have 22 minutes. Rather, our goals are to understand the latest DOJ suit against Manafort for running afoul of tax laws and discuss what evidence we have these tax laws are effective. At issue is the foreign income and assets that Manafort failed to report to U.S. authorities. As we've said before, the U.S. is one of the few countries that taxes citizens on their worldwide income, regardless of where that income is earned and regardless of where the citizen resides. So when Manafort earned consulting fees in Ukraine, he was required to pay U.S. taxes on that income. That's right. But the thing is, historically, it was difficult for the IRS to collect those taxes because the tax law relied on taxpayers to self-report that income to the IRS so that they could pay tax on it. Since the 1970s, U.S. taxpayers have been required to disclose information about their foreign bank accounts, which could potentially house their foreign income, using a form called the Report of Foreign Bank and Financial Accounts, or FBAR, not to be confused with FUBAR. And it's easy to see why such self-reporting is not the best of enforcement mechanisms. No. If a U.S. taxpayer earns income abroad and doesn't want to pay U.S. taxes on it, all they have to do is not report that income on their U.S. tax return and not file an FBAR. And without this information, it's nearly impossible for the IRS to know about those foreign accounts. Exactly. So an individual can put income earned abroad into a foreign bank account and just not report it to the IRS. Voila! That person has evaded U.S. taxes on their foreign income. And what's more, individuals can use that money stashed in foreign accounts to invest, just like through a brokerage account here in the U.S., and then earn investment income like dividends, interest, and capital gains. And as long as that individual keeps that investment income in those overseas accounts and keeps quiet about it, they can avoid paying U.S. taxes on that investment income, too. And that's essentially what Manafort did. 
And if all of this were legal, we wouldn't be reading articles about convictions, jail times, and a $3 million lawsuit from the Department of Justice trying to recoup penalties and interest. No, we would not. Because this is all 100% totally and completely shady, dodgy, illegal tax evasion. And I'm just going to say that one more time for those in the back of the room. Maybe you've got noisy family members in the car. You didn't hear what we were saying. Everything we just described about not paying taxes on foreign income and not reporting assets held in foreign accounts to the United States is illegal. Not legal. Always has been. It's just that it used to be relatively easy to get away with because the taxpayer was the only person who had to report foreign assets to the U.S. Now, if you hold assets in a U.S. bank account or another U.S. financial institution, they are required to report information about your accounts and your income generated from those accounts to the IRS. And that is a much better enforcement mechanism because it relies on a third party to do the reporting in addition to the taxpayer. That's 100% right. So every year, your bank sends information to the IRS on the whopping amounts of interest income you earned in your savings account during the year. All 10 basis points, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And you could try to evade tax on that like $5 of income by not reporting it on your tax return, but the cat is already out of the bag because your bank ratted you out. I'm loving the cat and mouse or rat imagery here. It's very apropos to a discussion of tax evasion. And if the information reported by your bank does not match the information reported by you, the IRS will, at a minimum, send you a notice or a corrected tax return that includes that income and demand that you pay more tax. It's not too hard to see why the U.S. would want to move to a similar automatic third-party reporting regime for foreign banks as well, right? So, Lisa, why didn't we? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it was generally perceived to be this huge overreach of our authority to demand information from banks on foreign soil. I can see that. In addition, anytime we tried to pressure foreign banking systems in the past to share information, we faced really fierce resistance and it strained diplomatic relations with some very important allies. So put simply, the rest of the world was not so keen on the idea. And in fairness, I can kind of understand it because it's essentially asking other countries to help us police our own citizens. Yep. What's changed in recent years was largely the result of two scandals involving banks in Switzerland and Liechtenstein that brought U.S. tax evasion through foreign financial institutions into the spotlight. For more detail, go back and listen to our episode on the Pandora Papers. But essentially, to recap, these scandals strengthened the political resolve in the U.S. to crack down on this type of tax evasion and indicated the U.S. was not the only country willing to go to great lengths to clamp down on illegal tax evasion through foreign accounts. And what resulted was the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, or FATCA. And because you know Congress never saw an acronym they didn't love, nope. that is indeed intended to look and sound like fat cat, referring to a wealthy or privileged person. It also gives rise to a legitimate academic need to show pictures of fat cats holding wine bottles <laughs> Yes. When presenting related research into the efficacy of the law at real life tax conferences. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Because you know I've never seen a picture of a fat cat with a wine bottle that I didn't love. I have to ask how many pictures of fat cats with wine bottles have you seen? You realize I don't have children, right? <laughs> anyway. FATCA requires foreign financial institutions to do enough due diligence to determine whether the beneficial owner of any of their accounts is a U.S. person. So even if the account belongs to a business entity, 
let's say, registered in the Cayman Islands, the foreign financial institution is required to look through to see who the ultimate owners are. And if they find any indication that one of the account holders is a U.S. person, things like a U.S. address or phone number, they have to report that information about the account holder and the account, including the largest balance during the year and any income paid into the account during the year. Only accounts with relatively small balances are exempted from this reporting requirement. And at this point, you may be thinking, why would any foreign bank go to all this trouble to search for U.S. owners and rat them out to the IRS? Mm -hmm. Well, if a foreign bank doesn't do this, the U.S. will withhold tax on any dividends, rents, interests, salaries, or related income paid to any of its account holders, regardless of whether the account holder is known to be a U.S. person. What that means is that anyone holding a legitimate account with a non-compliant bank would pay an extra 30% in U.S. taxes on any U.S. investment income, even if they aren't a U.S. citizen. So perhaps not surprisingly, these rules were initially perceived as an overreach of U.S. authority Uh and particularly draconian in terms of the penalties and compliance costs that were being imposed by the U.S. on foreign financial institutions. Uh But eventually, the international community came around. Because it turns out that this kind of tax evasion isn't committed only by U.S. citizens. Other countries liked this idea of information sharing so much that the rest of the world introduced its own automatic third-party reporting requirements for foreign financial institutions, with over 60 countries signing on by the end of 2017. Copycats. All kinds of cats. So I have a question for you. Okay. Yes, I am a dog person. Thank you. This is why I was so confused about cats and wine bottles. So what does all of this have to do with Paul Manafort? The fact that a foreign bank is likely to report your account information to the U.S. does not get rid of your requirement to report this income on your U.S. tax return. No, ma'am. So remember that FBAR form U.S. taxpayers are required to file? I do. Well, Manafort didn't. Yikes. And that makes the IRS grumpy. Manafort was previously convicted on charges related to failing to file this form and associated illegal tax evasion. So the DOJ is now suing for $3 million in penalties and interest because Manafort failed to disclose more than 20 foreign bank accounts over almost a decade. My favorite part of all of this is the way Manafort's lawyer seems just so shocked that the Department of Justice is suing Manafort for, quote, simply failing to file a tax form. It's an honest mistake. Yeah, but like when that form is a disclosure of all of your foreign income and assets hidden in foreign bank accounts, failing to file the form is the whole point. That's a legal tax evasion. No, and I'll say that this is ridiculous because I remember uh, working in public accounting and like it was on every checklist that you ever filled out for a high income individual is did you ask them about foreign accounts and did you report if the balance is more than the threshold level because it's like a $10,000 penalty without the IRS even blinking. So this is serious business and anyone worth their salt would know that. It's FUBAR. It is FUBAR. So to recap, it was historically challenging for the IRS to know about U.S. citizens' foreign accounts and income because they relied on self-reporting by the taxpayer. FATCO was introduced to supplement that self-reporting by compelling foreign financial institutions to report information about U.S. citizens' accounts to the IRS. So let's move on to our second goal for today, whether FATCO was indeed effective. 
Excellent. All right. First things first. FATCO was intended to make it harder for U.S. citizens to use foreign accounts to hide income and assets from the IRS. B, did it work? By all accounts so far, yes, it did work. There are generally two ways you can go about examining this issue given the data that are available. First, you can look at the amount of bank deposits held by non-residents in countries known for their bank secrecy and low tax rates. Several academic studies find reductions in these bank deposits following FATCA. The second way to examine this is to instead look at flows of money across borders. So not the amount of money actually sitting in accounts, but rather amounts being invested from accounts in one country into securities in another country. The idea is that as a U.S. person, while I may want to hide my money in, say, Switzerland, I want to invest that money back in companies in my home country because I'm better at evaluating investments when I understand the language and the institutions of the market. A paper I published with Becky Lester at Stanford and Kevin Markle at Michigan State suggests these cross-border investments back into the U.S. from accounts and tax havens declined following FATCA through 2015. And you and I recently revisited that analysis to see if the effect persisted beyond 2015, because it could be the case that FATCA caused a short-term scare, but then shady tax evaders went back to old habits once the scare blew over. Instead, we find the effect does indeed persist through the most recent years of data. And this all makes sense because a couple of my colleagues here at UT have a paper showing that nearly every foreign financial institution committed to share information with the U.S. about U.S. account holders in their countries. So this threat was real. And this is great. And FATCA worked. And Congress and the IRS finally did something right. Not so fast. Damn it. My colleagues also find that the quality of the information actually provided to the U.S. is not so great. In most cases, it's missing a taxpayer identification number that's kind of important for the IRS to have in order to link the account information to a particular taxpayer and their tax return in order to determine if a taxpayer is hiding something. Not only is the information coming through not super useful, but it's also happening a lot later than anticipated because it took much longer to implement FATCA than Congress originally expected. But as we learned from Blanche on the Golden Girl episode of Grab That Dough, as the saying goes, it's better late than pregnant. Oh, dear. Better late than never. The bigger issue is that just because people may be stopped evading U.S. taxes through foreign bank accounts after FATCA doesn't mean they stopped evading taxes full stop. Right. And that's because FATCA applies only to financial institutions, but not to real estate title companies, art dealers, crypto brokers or the like. Mm -hmm. To be frank, there's a whole host of assets other than cash and securities that a person could put their money into to continue to hide it from the IRS. Exactly. And while we have some evidence of a spike in the pricing and quantity of art and real estate that may have been used by U.S. evaders following FATCA, this is a really ripe area for additional research. The problem is getting good data on these assets and their owners. The whole point of crypto is that it's pseudonymous. And the whole point of this episode was to make you say that word again. The password is pseudonymous. <laughs> well done. And I know now from looking it up, pseudonymous means it's very difficult to identify who owns or is trading in particular crypto assets. What we'd like to know is how much is owned by U.S. citizens, particularly if the investments in crypto came from foreign accounts following FATCA. And pretty much the same can be said for art and antiquities, real estate, diamonds and other jewels. All of these markets are relatively opaque, meaning it's hard to know if it's U.S. tax evaders driving up prices and transaction volume or if there are other factors at play. But it's possible, and if I may be frank, likely. 
People were going to great lengths to hide their assets before FATCA, and I see no reason why, again, wealthy people wouldn't go to great lengths and costs to hide them after FATCA too. Agreed. Time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good is pretty easy to see here, I think. FATCA was by all accounts successful at shutting down one key avenue of U.S. tax evasion, the use of foreign financial accounts. Totally agree. And thankfully, the information is finally flowing from foreign financial institutions to the IRS. But. Classic B. But not only is it worth questioning again how useful that information is, But it's worth questioning whether the IRS has the resources to fully realize the potential of any good information that they are receiving. And I'm sorry, but I had to say it. But I'll get off my IRS resources soapbox now because it's well covered ground. No, it's a fair point. If the IRS recently had to destroy approximately 30 million information returns, it was unable to process due to its, quote, antiquated technology. So bad. One has to wonder how likely it is they'll be able to process all the information they're receiving annually from foreign financial institutions. In fact, a recent report from the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration found that despite spending $574 million over a decade, the IRS has made $0 of assessments from its FATCA compliance campaign. Also, they have no pens. So or stamps. Yeah. I guess the other bad thing about FATCA is that it only increases reporting for financial assets, while there are so many other types of assets Mm -hmm. the diehardest of the diehard tax evaders could hide their money in. It's so true. We've seen some progress on that front, though. This time, it's coming from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, who have steadily increased enforcement efforts over suspicious transactions, including those involving real estate. That's right. It's become a concern that non-U.S. citizens or residents are using the U.S. real estate market to hide their laundered money and ill-gotten gains from their home countries. And we're talking about drug money and bribes and all sorts of shady and criminal activity. No bueno. As a result, FinCEN has increased the reporting requirements for all-cash real estate transactions in cities like Miami and Manhattan and is considering rolling out a similar approach nationwide. And you can't really talk about the U.S. harboring foreign money launderers, criminals, and tax evaders without talking about the really ugly side of FATCA. Remember when we said the international community eventually got on board with FATCA as being such a good idea that they all entered into an information sharing agreement with each other? I do. It's called the Common Reporting Standard. And guess what country did not sign on to automatically share banking information with most other countries? Oh, no. That's right. The U.S., And the lack of information sharing makes the U.S. a great place for foreign individuals to hide income and assets. It's so gross, but so true. Elisa Cassie, Christoph Spengel, and Barbara Stage have a great publication looking at the effectiveness of the common reporting standard. And they find that after FATCA and CRS were implemented, deposits by foreigners in U.S. financial institutions increased, suggesting an increased use of the U.S. for foreigners to hide assets from their home countries. You and I also look at financial flows and find an increase in investments from U.S. banks into relatively high tax countries following FATCA. And that pattern is consistent with foreign persons investing back into their home countries after hiding their assets in U.S. banks. We also find a big spike in suspicious financial transactions reported in FinCEN following FATCA and CRS. 
Shane Heitzman at USC, who's more familiar with the FinCEN data, helped us to zero in on transactions in South Dakota, which was exposed by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists as a prime location for foreigners to hide proceeds from potentially criminal activities. Those data show a big spike in suspicious transactions that could be used for tax evasion in South Dakota following FATCA and the Common Reporting Standard. And I still can't get over how South Dakota became one of the world's biggest tax havens. South Dakota, come from Mount Rushmore, stay for the tax evasion and money laundering. Yuck. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.